Hi, this is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 why Cheap Astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, Episode 31, Meanwhile, Back on Earth. Here at Cheap Astronomy, we like to remind listeners that astronomy isn't all out there in the distance. In fact, we live on a planet. So, from the point of view of any aliens out there, we are astronomy, and our planet is full of some wildly strange physics that you just never see anywhere else. For example, we live on a planet where water mostly occurs in liquid phase. Indeed, there's 1 times 10 to the 18th metric tonnes of the stuff covering 70% of the planet which is kind of a lot. And why is liquid water so weirdly strange? Well, firstly... Dear Cheap Astronomy, Is there anything truly transparent? Well, yes, a vacuum is truly transparent. Anything else? Well, not really. In a previous Cheap Astronomy episode... We've described how some materials absorb photons, while other materials allow those photons to pass through them. The underlying principle is quantum mechanics. While an electron can absorb a photon and be raised to a higher energy shell, it will only absorb a photon that has the exact quanta of energy required to do that raising. So, even within the narrow wavelength range of optical light, some materials absorb photons and others don't. But remember that the wavelength of light is an expression of its energy level and remember that light occurs across a huge spectrum of different wavelengths. So, some materials might be transparent to optical light but be opaque to radio light or vice versa, because radio light has different energy levels to optical light. However, even transparent materials that don't absorb optical light can become opaque eventually. Several hundred metres down, the ocean, which as you may be aware is made of water, becomes totally dark. This is not because normally transparent water does eventually start absorbing optical light photons. It's because it scatters them. So, to recap, water does absorb low-energy, long-wavelength light, which is why microwaves can heat your coffee. Infrared light is also mostly absorbed by water. Optical light is not absorbed, but... Longer wavelength red light photons are the first to be scattered as light penetrates the water and interacts with particulate matter or with water molecules themselves. Those interactions don't involve photon absorption, but they do begin to divert the straight line paths of photons that are passing through the water. This is why scuba divers commonly report that at depth, colours begin to lose their warmth as red light is lost from their visual range. As you go deeper into the ocean, 
More and more photons from shorter wavelengths also get diverted laterally, including, eventually, the blue and the violet ones, until there are no optical light photons left still heading straight down. And so, consequently, it gets optically dark. Looking down at the ocean from above the surface, deep water looks dark blue because no light is being reflected back from the bottom. Since, of course, most of that light never makes it to the bottom. Conversely, shallow water appears a lighter blue, or even green, as light can make it through to the sandy bottom, and that light can also be reflected back out to your eye. But, to get back to the point of the story, what we think of as transparency in materials is only true over certain distances. For example, glass is highly transparent, but a kilometre-thick piece of glass will probably be completely opaque, not due to absorption, but due to scattering. The structural geometry of materials is also an issue. Although water is transparent to optical light, snow and ice certainly aren't, unless we're talking about very thin slices of ice. At the microscopic level, water freezes into a kind of crystalline matrix, which is less dense than fluid water, which is of course why ice floats on water. When light interacts with frozen water, all the prismatic facets of those frozen ice particles cause extensive photon scattering across many different wavelengths, so that all the separate colours of optical light are first split, then scattered, and then remixed. So when they are reflected back at your eye, they're all mixed up in the form of pure white. Which is why snow, and also icebergs, look white. Mind you, glacial ice that's been compressed down to a denser, more uniform matrix produces less prismatic diffraction and reflection and so is more likely to behave like fluid water does, which is why dense glacial ice ends up having a blue colour. Cool, huh? And thanks me. So yep, liquid water is pretty wild stuff. And it's not every day you're going to see 1 times 10 to the 18th metric tons of it, unless, of course, you happen to live on Earth. And of course, if you do live on Earth, and are surrounded by 1 times 10 to the 18th metric tons of this stuff, then all sorts of crazy starts happening. For example, Dear Cheap Astronomy, How come some places on Earth have only one high tide a day, when others have two. Tides on Earth are primarily caused by the Moon, although the Sun also plays an important role. As the Moon orbits the Earth, it draws water from the seas and the oceans towards it, creating a tidal bulge. And since the Earth and the Moon are actually both orbiting a common centre of mass, called the barycenter, there is an almost as big tidal bulge on the opposite side of the Earth from the Moon, which is being thrown outwards by the centrifugal force resulting from the Earth's and the Moon's joint orbit around their barycenter. 
Since the Moon takes 27 days to orbit the Earth, and the Earth takes only one day to rotate around its own axis, the Earth is always spinning quickly between those two slowly migrating tidal bulges. So any coastal areas on the Earth's surface that are spun beneath both the tidal bulges will get two high tides in the one day. The height of those tides is somewhat dependent on the Sun, or at least the relative positions of the Sun and the Moon. A full moon happens when the moon is on the other side of the Earth from where the sun is, meaning that on the Earth we see the moon's near side completely lit up. A new moon happens when the moon is on the same side of the sun. In that configuration, the moon's far side is lit up, while to us, its near side is dark. In either configuration, new moon or full moon, the Earth, moon and sun are all lined up, and the combined gravities of the Sun and the Moon create spring tides, that is, the highest high tides, which occur about once every two weeks, either around a new or a full moon. And you also get neap tides, which are the lowest kind of high tides when the Moon is at first quarter or at third quarter. In other words, when the Moon is at either of the two points that are perpendicular to a line drawn between the Earth and the Sun. So, broadly, that's how tides work. However, there are other factors at play. Firstly, the Moon does not orbit the Earth's equator, which is quite unlike most other moons that we know about. We think that over billions of years, our Moon's orbital plane has slowly been dragged off the equator and into line with the ecliptic, that is, the orbital plane of all the planets around the Sun. This is consistent with the Earth being the closest planet to the Sun that has been able to hang on to a moon at all, remembering that neither Mercury nor Venus have any moons. Secondly, the Earth spins on an axis that is tilted 23.5 degrees to the solar system's orbital plane. So, the end result of the Moon's unusual orbit, and the Earth's axial tilt, is that the Moon's orbit crosses over both the Earth's northern and southern hemispheres during one orbit, and those orbits process steadily around the Earth, in a pattern that repeats every 8.9 years. So, most places on Earth do experience two high tides a day, as the Earth's orbit shifts those places through one moon-induced tidal bulge, and then the other. But, due to the differential orbital planes, the axial tilt and the precessions we've talked about, those same places will sometimes experience just one high tide a day, as the Earth's orbit shifts them through one moon-induced tidal bulge, but then misses the other, or at least partially misses the other. This happens in a seemingly haphazard, though entirely predictable, pattern. But all that said, the shape and depth of coastal geography is also a factor. Under perfect conditions, the highest theoretical change in tidal amplitude would be 93 centimetres, where those perfect conditions are a new moon, and when that moon is in orbital periapsis with the Earth, and the Earth is in orbital periapsis with the Sun. 
Such an ideal alignment of all these parameters is rare, but certainly possible. However, a rise and fall of 93 centimetres is what you get in the open ocean. What you may get at your favourite fishing spot depends on coastal geography. In places like the Bay of Fundy in Canada, there is a maximum tidal amplitude change of more than 16 metres, as a large volume of seawater is gravitationally shifted in and out of a relatively narrow channel. So, the frequency of tides, as well as their height and their timing, varies widely across different parts of the world and over different days, months and years. But, as long as you're willing to dig into the complexity a bit, it is all quite explainable and totally predictable. And thanks me. Of course, there are places on Earth where the Coriolis effect, combined with the distribution of land masses, directs the movement of the lunar tidal bulges in such a way as to create harmonic resonances, and hence flat spots, places which have no lunar tides at all. Most of those places are out in the open ocean, but Tahiti is right in the middle of a flat spot, although it does still have small and puzzlingly regular tides. Right on midnight and noon, there are high tides, which are about 70 centimetres higher than the low tides, which occur at 6am and 6pm every single day. The reason? These are purely solar tides, which is all that's left when lunar tidal effects are cancelled out. Cool, huh? And that's it for another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you've become tidally locked on an astronomical conundrum, or are just looking for more transparency in your astronomy podcasts, why not write to cheapastro at gmail.com and we'll help you see your way through. Thanks for listening. Steve Nerlick, Cheap Astronomy.